This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. This morning I'm going to begin a brand new sermon series. And it's entitled, Go With God. And I want to tell you that this particular series, I've never taught or preached like I'm going to preach it at this particular time. Now, I've had to dive deep, deep down in the well to get three simple truths this morning. But I believe it's going to be the pattern and the mode that will take us through this series. And so I believe that I'm going to share with you this morning, and it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter how long you've been reading your Bible. I personally believe that I'm going to share with you some truths today that you've never seen in the Word. I believe that probably 99% of you that leave to go home today, you will go home and say, maybe at your lunch table, maybe this evening, as many times as I've read the Word, I've never seen that. Maybe you will leave here in awe. Maybe you will leave here and bless. Now, there may be somebody that says, oh, yeah, I got that 10 years ago. And you get the big red apple. <laughs> but I believe most people that will leave today will say, man, that is awesome. Not because I brought it to you, but because it's been tucked away in the Word of God for centuries. And the Word promises us that it would not return void that it's powerful, that it's sharp as a two-edged sword. And so this morning, I want us to pray, Holy Spirit, let this word penetrate my heart. Let it sink deep down. Give me something today, God, that I have never seen, I've never experienced in the scriptures, and let it bless me from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. I believe now, again, we're diving deep in the well, and you're going to get three simple truths that seem to be just like the cream on the milk that's there at the top. But it took a long way down to get it. And I hope you appreciate it and you love it. And you, and you dwell on it this week. Because to me, like the Word says, He's precious. He's the Word, and you will find it to be precious this morning. Now... Having said all of that, this is the study, this is the series entitled Go With God, comes out of the book of Exodus. I want to read for you now. They will get these scriptures on the screen, and the message this morning is in simply entitled Obedience. Now, I'm going to read for you in Exodus chapter 1 and begin reading with verse number 1. And I'm going to read for you through verse number 8. Now, because of the magnitude of what we're talking about today, there are many scriptures that I'm going to give you, and I do not believe that you will have the adequate time to turn your Bibles to all of those places, though I encourage you as much as possible. But they will get these scriptures on the screen for you. What I would love for you to do, more importantly as you follow along in the bulletin and you discover these three points that we're going to be talking about, you may want to take some notes because I'm going to give you some marvelous truths today in God's Word. Let's begin. 
Exodus chapter 1 in this series, Go With God, and beginning in verse number 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan, and Nephtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the lions or loins of Jacob were 70 souls. For Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died and all his brethren and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt which knew not Joseph. Now I want you to think with me along those lines, which knew not Joseph. I want you to notice the very first word in our text. Now I want you to look at it. It's a very simple word. And this word really takes us on an incredible journey. And you say, well, preacher, I'm, I'm reading my Bible, but I'm not getting it because this first word is now. That word, that one simple word, listen now, is going to carry us down memory lane. Have you ever watched, you were watching a movie, and the first 60 seconds of it really got your attention, and you sat back and said, man, it's going to be really good. And then all of a sudden, what appears on the screen is three years earlier, and then it takes you way back. You know what I'm talking about? This one word now does exactly that. It takes us way back, and in order to continue on in this journey in Exodus, go with God, we've got to do what that one word suggests. We've got to go back down memory lane for a few moments because Exodus begins with a conjunction that continues the story of Genesis. That's important. It continues the story of Genesis, and it lists the names of the tribes of Israel that went into Egypt. Now, this is incredible. Very quickly, as we get into this book of Exodus, we see that God, and here's a point that you probably need to remember and write down. If you're interested in this entire thing, this is what it's all about. And we're going to make a big thing about it as we dig deeper in the well. We see that God is after the heart of his people. Much more than their comfort and the change of their circumstances. Let me say that one more time. What we're going to find out in this journey, go with God. In this unimaginable ordeal going on in the book of Exodus, what we're going to see about the mind and the will of God is that he is more concerned about the heart of his people than the circumstances that they're going through and even more importantly, their comfort. Even though he's a loving God and he's heard the cries of his people, 
We're going to discover this morning that setting those things aside, he's more concerned over their heart. So let us look and we think about those things because the very first word of this book is interesting. It's the word now. And so when I began to study and put this message together, we know that Moses is the writer of the book. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch. Moses, when he gets to the book of Exodus and he writes this word now, we have to remember that he's continuing the story of creation and also Israel's covenant with God. And he begins with this word now. And in the introduction of this series, I need to bring some things to your memory. I want you to think about the story just for a moment. Because as we go back a few years earlier, in the very first verse of the Bible, Moses writes these words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. That simply means this, that God stepped out on the portals of nothing. By the way, we do not believe in the Big Bang Theory. We don't believe that molecules exploded and plants, planets migrated and, and all of a sudden this happened and this happened and then everything else. And what we believe is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In fact, the Bible doesn't need to be debated. God settled it in the very first verse. In the beginning, God, that settles it. But he stepped out into the portals of nothing and with his voice, with the spoken word, he spoke into existence the heavens and the earth. And once he did that, then everything else he begins to bring into existence. And according to the scriptures, on the sixth day, he created man and then he blessed us all. He brings us in this beautiful creation, he brings us into a relationship with him. But soon after that, now we've got to take this journey quickly. His human creation, it rebelled and it disobeyed him. And when all of that happened, we know the story early on, we quickly learned that everything else, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, everything else as a result of that became broken. And in Genesis 3, we find sin happens. Adam and Eve, they disobeyed the designed relationship with God by eating the forbidden fruit. But listen carefully. It really wasn't about the apple. But rather, it was about their unquestionable trust in God. When they disobeyed his trust, or that trust, it shattered every single thing around them. They, they willingly walked away from the command of God. It was their choice. He had placed them in the garden and he said, you can have everything here but this one tree. Trust me, when you eat of this tree, you're going to die. Now, if you obey me and you don't eat of this one tree, you will enjoy the pleasures of Eden forever. Listen, isn't this amazing? 
how that in the human heart with the will and the free will of man, the choice, out of everything God said they could have, they chose the one thing he said you couldn't. Isn't that amazing? And so you think about this. But it wasn't going to be a shock to God. God knew exactly what was going to happen when he spoke the worlds into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before he did that, God knew what was going to happen. In fact, he had already declared in the eons of eternity that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to be the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He spoke to Moses now as Moses is right. Moses didn't know exactly what was going on, but I assure you God did. And so God spoke to Moses with the promise of Genesis 3.15. He said this, I will put enmity because of the sin and the rebellion and the disobedience. He said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so God brings about a promise to us that in spite of what Adam and Eve has done to the human race, because now they have plunged the entire human race into the depths of sin. But God has promised in Genesis 3.15 that he is not going to leave his human creation in a broken way. He has promised to send the Redeemer. He has promised to rescue us. And never forget this, that way before this happened in Eden, let me remind you that God had already seen the cross. He had already seen the fact that he had ordained Jesus to be the Lamb of God. But while all of that was unfolding and taking place, Adam and Eve were still left wondering as God is promising a redeemer, they're left wondering, who is he? Who is this redeemer? When is he coming? How will he come? And I will tell you this, there are many questions about the coming of the Lord that even you and I today still ask. We know that he's coming. We don't know when. He could come today. He could come right now. He could come tonight. Now, we all know this, though, that in God's time, and his timing is always perfect, in his time, the enemy that came to Adam and Eve in the garden, in God's time, the enemy that still comes to you and I today, in God's time, this deceiver will be eternally defeated. But for now, right now, we must wait and do spiritual warfare with him, but God's not leaving us in a broken way. He didn't leave Adam and Eve in a broken way, and I will tell you this, he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He will always be with, according to the scriptures, even until the end of the world. In Genesis 4, we see brother against brother. We see that Cain is jealous over his brother Abel, but we have to remember why did that happen? Because God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain. We find that Cain murders his own brother. In Genesis 6, we see how corruption has now spread throughout all of the earth to the point where God is going to wipe the slate clean with a flood, a worldwide flood. And just imagine that. But God said that sin had now reached such a place that it 
It repented him is what the word says. He said because of that, he was going to destroy everything and start all over again with Noah and his family. Look at Genesis chapter 8, verse number 1. This is an interesting verse. You say, well, preacher, I thought we were in Exodus. We are. We can't get away from that word now. That first word in the first verse of the first chapter now, we have to do this. Look at this, Genesis 8, 1. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters a sage. Now, this word, remembered, this does not imply that God forgot. God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He will never stop being all-knowing. So this word remembered doesn't mean that God forgot. Let me show you something. Because in Genesis chapter 19 and in verse number 29, we see that God was about to destroy the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't have time to read that verse, but there it is right there. And in the scripture, he remembered Abram's seed. Look at this. God remembered Abraham. Now, the word remembered Abraham is the same word remembered as we were just now looking in the story of Noah. God remembered Abraham, all right? Think about this. When Israel was in bondage down in Egypt, God also remembered them. In Exodus 2, verse number 24, and God heard their groaning, and God, look at this, remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Genesis chapter 11, we see the tower of Babel and man's pride and his willingness to once again turn completely against God. So if you're keeping track with all of this, from the very beginning, when it all started to unfold, we read about one disaster after another. And we see in every instance, every single time that God is chasing down the hearts of his people. When things go south and things start unraveling, God's still in pursuit of the heart of his people. Even in the rebellion and the unimaginable thoughts and deeds through it all, standing in the shadows of mercy stands God with a plan of rescue and redemption. In every single wicked turn that men had taken, he is waiting patiently to rescue us. In Genesis 12, it starts out as if there was a new promise. God begins to speak to Abram, who becomes Abraham. I want you to see this. Get this on the screen, fellas. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Follow along with me. Read it with me as I read it. Now the Lord said, had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. Now get this straight now in your heart. This is important for where we're going with the word now. All right, now the Lord said unto Abram, get thee out. He said, I want you to pack your bags and I want you to get out of this place. 
Verse two, and I will make thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, I want to ask you, exactly what is God after here? Think with me. Now, if you're following it carefully and you're keeping up with us now because we're moving fast, God is after the heart and trust of Abraham. God is pulling hard at his emotions. I want you to watch this. He said, I want you to leave everything. I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your relatives. I want you to leave all your securities. He said, I want you to leave every single thing that you know. And when you obey me, He said, your life will never be the same. And so Abraham does exactly what God asked him to do. He obeys. But no sooner than he obeys the voice of God, trouble immediately, quickly comes to the surface. I mean, when he's doing exactly what God told him to do, like a shadow, trouble is following him. The trouble is with his nephew, first of all, and his herdsmen, and it becomes extremely intolerable. Most of you know that story. Listen carefully. They have to separate, and so Abraham said, we've got to go into two separate directions. You pick one way, I'll go to the other way. So Lot chose the green pastures of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham went into the desert. Now, he's doing everything God asked him to do. He's left everything behind except for God said, I want you to leave all your people. And what does he do? He doesn't leave all his people. He takes his nephew with him. Now, God had said, leave them all. So this was the first problem. So Lot goes to Sodom, and Abraham chose to go into the desert. But in the desert, Abraham got depressed. In Genesis 13, verse 14 through 17, and the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, he said, lift up now thine eyes, quit looking down. You're too depressed here, Abraham. And look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land and the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it to thee. Now, this is what I would like for you to see this morning and grasp hold to and learn this spiritual truth, and this will have a significant impact on your life. Number one. If you're following along in today's bulletin, number one, God's promises are unaffected by our circumstances. Let that soak in just for a moment. God's promises are unaffected by our circumstances. Because here's the thing that I want you to remember. Abraham had no children. Sarah was too old to have children The land where they were was too desolate, yet 
All the while, God's message is, trust me, obey me, trust me and obey me. God was working in a way that Abraham could not see. But by the way, that's what faith is all about. You cannot see a lot of things God wants you to do. Hebrews 11.1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so God was saying this, Abraham, that no matter what, I am going to be faithful to my word. I want you to trust me. I want you to obey me. And by the way, today God tells you and I the very same thing. He says, don't look down. He told Abraham, he said, look up, don't look down. He was looking down at his circumstances and God told him to look up and God tells you and me to do the same thing today. We're going through today probably some unimaginable circumstances. God would say to us exactly what he said to Abraham, don't look down, look up. Look up. He says, don't look down at your circumstances, but look up to the promises of God. He said, believe me, trust me, and obey me. And the amazing thing is, what he told Abraham to do, it works for you and I as well. Remember what David said in Psalms 121, verse number one. He said this, I will lift up. He didn't say I would look down. He said, I will look up. I will lift up my eyes until the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and the earth. I will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even evermore. He said, David, look up. David said, I'll do it. I'll lift up my eyes. Remember the promises of God are not affected by our circumstances. So whatever it is that you may be going through today, and it may be a dark season in your life, remember this, what has God promised in his word? When he tells you to come boldly to the throne of grace, what promises of God can you refer back to? Because remember this, our circumstances, God is not affected by those. So Abraham is comforted by God's promise. He's still a little bit apprehensive, but no matter what, God is assuring him that he's going to keep his word in Genesis 15. And verse number one, the word says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what will thou give me? Seeing I go childless and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, to me, thou hast given no seed. God, I know what you said. You promised this and you promised that. But here I am in this desert place. You know my heart is weary. I'm cast down. And these promises you made, I, I just don't see how in the world it's going to happen. This man in my house, the steward of my house, he said, maybe I don't have a seed, but maybe you're going to bring the seed through this man. Lo, verse 3 says, one born in my house is mine heir. 
And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. So Abraham, in this passage, he's starting to talk down a little bit to God. He's doubting God. He's He's doing what he says, but then he's backpedaling. He's now starting to think that the slave Eliezer is going to be the one that's going to give him the heir. And God interrupts him and he says this. Abraham, I made a promise to you. And these circumstances, I want you to know, I'm not affected by those circumstances. I made a promise to you and I intend to keep my promise. This is not how it's going to work. It's not going to come through this man. I said you are going to have a son and I intend to keep my word. So then God takes him outside and he tells him to do this. Get your eyes off the ground, get your eyes off the circumstances and look up. He said, look up to the start in Genesis 15, verse 5 and 6. And he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven. Look up and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, so shall thy seed be. I made you a promise and I intend to keep it. So you think about this. This is the mighty word of the Lord all the way down through verse 16. I want you to see this. This is incredible. And this is what I want you to leave here today and say, I never saw that in the word of God. I've been reading my Bible for 10 years, 20 years, 25. I never saw this. This is what I pray will blow your spiritual socks off. It's found in verse 16. So God is conversing with Abraham and God says this, but in the fourth generation, Abraham, they shall come hither again. Now, I want you to go back with me to verse seven. And he said unto him, I'm the Lord that brought thee out of Ur the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said, take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these things and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came... Down upon the carcass, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, a horror of a great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs and shall serve them. And they shall afflict them. Look at this. Look at this. Don't miss it. Underline it. Highlight it. 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve, I will judge. And afterward, afterward shall they come out with great substance and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, They shall, now these next three words, 99.9% of the people in this auditorium listening by internet has never, ever seen this. God said, 
the fourth generation shall come here again. Here. Here. Where Abram was, where Abraham was standing, God said, Abraham, it's not now. But 400 years from now, the people are going to come here again. Notice that word again. This is powerful. The fourth generation, come hither again. I don't know if you've ever missed this in your Bible study, but look carefully at this. Abraham was already actually at the point of this part of the story. Abraham was already dwelling in the promised land. Now, I get it. I get it. Most, that's what happened to most just now. But God is saying this, Abraham, chill. 400 years from now, where you're standing right now, 400 years from now, my people will come here again. Do you see this? Again. Now, now look, let me bring it out to you this morning. Abraham is there. Moses, and we're going to see this in the story, he came right up to the door to complain and the complaints of these Hebrews day and night, over and over. He brought them right up to the door of Kadesh Barnea, which is the door, the front of the promised land. And they began to murmur. He was sick of it. The spies went in, came back. Oh, they're too big, too many, so forth. And so the Bible says they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. Now, Abraham, this is before, remember Moses continues the story and he says, now, but we're talking about everything that led up to that word now. Abraham is there, he's living there, and God says this, Abraham, I'm going to destroy all the enemies all around you, and for Moses, I'm going to do this 400 years from now. I'm going to do this for Moses. Abraham's feet, listen, here it is. Abraham's feet is literally standing where God wants his Israelites, his chosen people to dwell 400 years from this point. Now you have to be hungry for the word here because I want you to think back to the promise, to the covenant that God made to Abraham. I mean, the promise was made before Abraham and Sarah battled infertility. The promise was made before Lot and his family had settled in Sodom and Gomorrah, before his wife turned into a pillar of salt, before Isaac and Rebekah battled infertility for over 20 years. 
The promise, the covenant was made before they had Jacob and Esau. Listen, before Jacob stole the blessing from his brother, before Jacob is swindled by his father-in-law and marries Leah thinking that it was Rachel. The covenant, the promise was made before Joseph was thrown in the pit and sold into slavery. The promise was made before the plagues and the Passover. The promise was made before the desert. The promise was made before the golden calf. I mean, if God had Abraham right where he wanted his people to be, then pastor, if that's true, then why bypass, then why should the children of Israel have to go through everything they did if Abraham is already there? Are you with me? Why all of this stuff if... Abraham is there. Will you think about this just for a moment? I'm talking about all of this trouble, all of this sorrow, all of the broken hearts, all of the oppression. Have you ever wondered about that? This is what God would say. Abraham, your feet are exactly where I want you to be. But the hearts of the people is not. Your feet is there. But the heart is not. That's what God was after more than the comfort and the change of circumstances for his people. He wanted their heart. God had made the covenant and he had made the promise, but please don't let this make you think that God's not concerned about our circumstances because Matthew 10 teaches us that a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without God being aware of it. And if he's aware of that, how much more does he care for you and I? But the reality is this. God is saying that if it takes... He's saying, Abraham, if it takes 400 years of slavery to capture the hearts of my people, then that's exactly what we're going to do because that's exactly what I want. We're not going to bypass any of the necessary things because without slavery, you will never know freedom. Without death, you will never experience the Passover. Without the desert, Israel will never taste the manna. Without being thirsty, they will never drink from the rock. Without the pursuit, they will never see the parting of the Red Sea. Without the defeats, they will never know the victories so he said if it takes 400 years Abraham for them to get it we're not going to bypass any of those things and I promise you this Abraham I will bring my people back in the fourth generation 400 years here again I don't know if you got a chill, but I did. Number two, whatever season the enemy may have you in right now or that God has placed you in, remember this, God is allowing it for a reason. Whatever place that you're in, 
you have to remember this. Whether the enemy has brought you there, whatever the case may be, God is allowing it. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God and who are the called according to his purpose. Many people think that if God was in control of all the seasons in my life, then why would he be allowing all of this terrible stuff to happen to me? If God was on his throne and if he was in control and I have listened to his voice and I have obeyed everything he said and I'm going through all of this stuff we call mess, I'm going through all of this mess, why is God allowing this to happen to me? That would mean that we are interpreting things like we want to believe. But remember, God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. If we really believe that God is all-knowing and all-powerful, then we have to believe that he is always in control of our life. And just maybe with all of the trouble that's going on all around you and all the circumstances that are not flowing like a joyful river, and all the peace that should be there. God may be wanting to do something miraculous for you, but he also knows that if that's the case, just like the children of Israel, if it takes all these disasters and all of these sorrows and all of these experiences to capture your heart, God knows that if it takes all of this stuff to get your heart, to bring you back to a place just like he did with the children of Israel, he will do the same with you and with me. And number three, quickly, and I ask our musicians to come forward. Never assume that everything has to always be great in your life. Never assume that. Never forget that sometimes it's through suffering that God does his greatest work. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 says, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I promise you this, listen carefully. If it is God, who put you in a hardship. If it is God who has or who is allowing these disastrous things to take place in your life, he's allowing you to go through a really painful experience right now. I want you to know that he will not allow it or put you in it and shut the door on you and say, well, I hope you make it. I hope that you do the best you can. I will tell you this, God will never, ever leave us in a broken way. Just like he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he will get in and he will walk in the fire with us. When the seasons change in your life, just go with God. And in this book of Exodus, we're going to see that the same God who continues to say, trust me, obey me, maybe right now, he has you in some kind of holding pattern in your life. And if that's the case, 
You feel like you're not moving. You're going south. Things are turned upside down and they're disastrous. Let me encourage you to cry out like the father of the demon-possessed boy who said, Lord, help my unbelief. If what you're going through right now, if this is what you need to say, Lord, you know where I am and you know what I'm going through. But if this is necessary, if this is what you want, if this is going to help me and say, Lord, I'll be willing to go through this season with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He told Abraham where you are in the fourth generation, 400 years from now, I'm going to bring my people. He said, back again right where you are though your feet are there your heart is not and in order to get the heart we got to go through some stuff you call mess we have to go through some mess but I make a promise to you Abraham I will bring my people back again he will never, ever break a promise. Titus 1-2 says this, it's impossible. God cannot lie. What he has declared in the word is good for yesterday, today, and forever. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at bufordroadbaptistchurch.com.